Welcome back, everyone, to The Joseph Carlson Show. We have a lot of news this week. Store Capital shareholders must be excited right now because they were just given a lifeline. They were just given a get-out-of-jail-free card. The stock had not been doing well this year, and it just bumped up 20% in a couple days because of news that it's being acquired. We're going to jump into this acquisition. I'll give you my take on it and whether or not store capital shareholders should continue to hold their shares. We also have the big investment day for Starbucks, and they have their reinvention plan, where they actually came out with some tangible things that we can look at. One of them is their new proprietary siren system. This is a whole new system for making coffee. It speeds up the time. It makes it less stressful. The barista doesn't have to bend down and go into to cupboards and cabinets. They have everything right there with all these custom dispensers. So we're going to go over this innovation and other things Starbucks is doing that could help out the company and eventually the stock price. And then we also have news that Disney's trying to become Amazon. They're trying to become an all-in-one streaming app with Hulu as part of Disney+. And they're even in talks. There's even some rumors that they want to have an Amazon Prime-like subscription. So we're going to dive into this news and see what Disney's up to. Now let's go ahead and jump right in, and we have to start off with a portfolio update. We do things real here. I show my buys, my sell, my portfolio, and I show it transparently on a weekly basis. And this invested money, this $349,000 of value in the passive income account, represents the majority of my invested net worth. This is where most of it is. Now, The performance over the past year, I think, has been good in relation to the rest of the market, but it has been a bit of a grind. This has been a difficult year. I feel like in 2022, in terms of investing, I'm just trying to hang in. I'm just trying to hang in there and hold on and and just accumulate shares and hope that things at some point get a little bit better. The looks of it, though, with the economic news, that might take some time. We might have another 6 to 12 months before we start seeing good news. For example, just today we're down 1.07%. In the past week, we're down 4.38%. For comparison, the past week the S&P 500 is down 6.28%. In the past month, we're down 9.8%. For comparison, the S&P 500 is down 10.8% over the same time period. In the past one year, we're down 10.67%. And over the past trailing year, the S&P 500 is down 14.31%. So over the past year, I've lost $38,000 in value. And that's hard to make up for. I deposit around $1,000 per week into the portfolio, so I'm constantly doing dollar cost averaging, but when your portfolio drops $38,000 in one year, even if you're beating the market, it's hard to have upwards momentum. It's difficult to make your portfolio grow in this economic environment. So as of right now, I'm just hanging in there. I'm trying to build up positions that I think when the market eventually turns to the positive, these companies will do really well. And in the meantime, If we have more economic woes, if inflation's more stubborn than expected, if interest rates stay higher longer than expected, I still think that my portfolio will outperform. The companies that will really get hurt if high inflation remains persistent and interest rates continue to go up and up and up, those are companies that have their profits way out in the future. The companies that print high amounts of free cash flow and have high free cash flow yields should hold up relatively better like we've seen over the past year. So I am positive about this portfolio, both in the short term, if we continue to trade downwards, and in the long term, if we see recovery. I feel like my companies are in a very good spot. Now, the companies that I've been buying into are mostly in the consumer category. I already own a lot of Costco, so despite this being one of my favorite companies, 
it trades at a relatively high valuation and I have a big holding in it, so I haven't been buying any more Costco. I have, however, been buying Church & Dwight, Nike, and Pepsi. These are three companies that are all relatively small positions, 9,000, 8,000, and 7,000, and I want to get all three of them up to the $15,000 range. So I'm slowly, consistently dollar cost averaging into these three companies, building up all three of them. I consider them to be extremely high quality dividend paying companies with fantastic balance sheets and high amounts of free cash flow. They're also companies that have diversified portfolios. They should be able to do really well and protect their moat. The other company that I've been building up recently is in the restaurant category. I built up my Texas Roadhouse position to be around the max size I feel comfortable with. It's around 12% of my portfolio. So this is a massive position in the passive income account, and I don't feel comfortable building it up to a higher position, even though I feel very good about this company. It has no debt. It has high consistent returns on capital employed. I think they can do really well managing inflation. They have a very efficient business model and they have enough free cash flow to do both dividend payments and share buybacks. So I feel good about the company, but right now it's simply too big of a position. I'm not going to be adding more. So I've chosen to invest in companies that don't need a specific catered economic environment. They're not companies that have to rely on low interest rates to have financial prosperity. The companies that I'm focused on are all weather companies. They'll perform well given harsh weather environments. And that's what I think we might have in the future. Now, having said that, even though I look at my individual companies and I try to get the best deal on each one of them, the overarching goal is passive income. That's what I keep my eye on all the time. I measure passive income by the amount of income I get that I don't have to actively work for. Companies like Texas Roadhouse, simply because I bought a stake in this company, I did what was very little effort, some research on the company and then buying a position in it. Now it's going to be paying me $185 every single quarter, every single year. And over time, this is expected to go up. They have plenty of room to be able to raise their dividend over time. So we see real cash passively paid to me, the shareholder, for not doing anything but a little bit of research. And when I look at the bigger picture and see my year-over-year growth in my dividends, you can see the substantial growth over the past four years. This next year, from 2021 to 2022, is likely going to be around 20 to 30%, and that's my goal going forward, to grow my dividend income above 20% every single year going forward. I can do that by a combination of factors. One of them is that companies raise their dividends over time. Most of the companies in my portfolio are dividend growth companies, meaning they raise their dividend they pay every single year without me doing anything. Vici was the most recent one to do this with an 8% dividend raise, and I suspect this to continue. So with an overall goal of 20% dividend income increase, around 7-10% to of it should come just by my companies raising their dividends. That's 7-10% to taken care of without me doing anything. Then we have another 3 to 4% that will be the result of reinvesting those dividends back into the portfolio. So that brings us to around 13 or 14% increase in dividends year over year. And then the rest of it, the next 7% is going to be from me depositing and buying more shares and more companies. So between me buying, reinvesting dividends, and having dividend raises, I suspect my portfolio will increase its dividend income by around 20% plus per year. And when I look at things through that perspective, that I'm continually compounding my income growth, that my passive income over time is really growing, I don't really concern myself as much about 
the past trailing year performance, or whether or not stocks are up or down today. As long as I keep a long-term perspective and I focus on the overarching goal of passive income, that keeps me grounded with my investment decisions. Now, having said that, we have some big news that I want to get into in this episode. One of them was something that I was very happy to see. This was a holding in my portfolio that I sold out of early this year because I was concerned about how it would perform in a terrible market condition. The company's store capital, and they just announced that they're being acquired in a private deal from GIC and Oak Street. So store capital is no longer going to be a publicly traded company. That made the stock go up 20% to match the increase in premium that this buyout is paying. So this is what store capital stock price looks like year to date. It was trending downwards as investors were getting concerned about this company. And then you have the buyout news and it moves up 20% in one day to be only 7% below its year to date price. I think this is very good news for shareholders. I think that store capital likely would have struggled for a long period of time in this market. And this buyout, in my opinion, is a little bit of a get out of jail for free card. You're getting a lifeline here. Now you can sell out of that stock and buy a different company that's also sold off this year that you think is a better valuation. The price was $32.25 and currently store capital trades at $31.95. I personally would not hold this company right now. I would be selling out of it. I don't think it's a good arbitrage play because if this deal doesn't go through, you might have yourself a 20% decline in stock price. It might fall right back to where it was. So if I was a store capital shareholder, in my opinion, I would take this lifeline, I would sell out and be happy about it, and I would buy into a different company. Now, the other piece of news is regarding Starbucks. I'm invested in Starbucks. It's one of my bigger holdings. I currently have a position size of $25,400. And I'm basically flat on this holding. So I've invested a total of around 25 grand. Now, Starbucks just had their big investor day, which was hours long of them explaining their reinvention plan for the company. And I was actually a little bit surprised. Most of the time, companies just give the same talking points, but they don't actually give any material plans of what they are going to do to increase shareholder value. The first thing that Starbucks did is increase their projections of future earnings. They said the company is now projecting earnings per share growth of 15 to 20% annually over the next three years, up from its prior long-term outlook given in late 2020. So in a sea of companies that are giving negative earnings revisions, Starbucks is uniquely one of the companies that is actually giving positive earnings revisions. They're saying they're going to earn more money than expected. And they said global and U.S. same-store sales are expected to rise 7 to 9% annually. They say the company has outlined plans on expanding its loyalty program, so they're doing things with their digital app, and they're speeding up the operations of their cafes, in part with a new coffee-making equipment and automation. And we'll take a look at that thing in a minute. But they say the changes are intended to address how Starbucks' business has transformed in recent years. Its menu has expanded, and cold coffee drinks that often include add-ons now account for 60% of orders year-round. Rather than going to the counter, more customers are going through the drive-thru or using it on its mobile app. So Starbucks is actually reinvesting in their business to update it to their new customer. And in addition to all those reinvention strategies, they say that Starbucks said it is also going to be expanding, building roughly 2,000 new U.S. stores between fiscal 2022 and 2025, accelerating their development strategy. So they're actually picking up the pace that they're building new stores, building out an additional 2,000 in two years. That seems very aggressive. I think that Starbucks sees these other coffee companies trying to make ground in the U.S. And Starbucks saying, oh, no, you don't. 
we're going to saturate the entire U.S. with so many Starbucks that there's not a single corner in the U.S. that you can build your coffee store on. Sorry, Dutch bros. Sorry, Dunkin' Donuts. This is where Starbucks is. They say by the end of fiscal 2025, it plans to have 45,000 locations worldwide. So Starbucks has huge expansion plans to this day across the entire globe and in the U.S. And they continue on from there. I think one piece of news that was understated, because this was a really bad piece of news, causing a lot of people to sell out of Starbucks, was the whole buyback issue. Starbucks will also start buying back shares beginning its next fiscal year, which starts in October. So coming right around the corner, just a month from now, Starbucks is also a buyback company. They're no longer halting their buybacks. See, I mostly believe that Starbucks really halted their buyback program as a political pivot to show the media that Starbucks cared more about the actual employees than they do the shareholders. And this was during a time back in April when Starbucks was under heavy scrutiny about the unionization effort. So Howard Schultz, I think, played this really well. He played politics. He halted the buybacks. He said, look, we don't care about the shareholders. We care about the employees and our business, and we're going to use this money to reinvest back into Starbucks. But the truth of the matter is, if we look at a company like Starbucks, they never needed to halt buybacks. This company generates an enormous amount of free cash flow, billions of dollars of free cash flow per year. Last year, they generated $4.52 billion in free cash flow. This is money that they could use to put back into the business without halting the share buybacks. So I think Howard Schultz did something that he's really good at. He plays politics really well. He helps the image of Starbucks. But now you see this little pivot. Now that the news media has mostly moved on from Starbucks, they're starting to re-implement the buyback strategy, and that will help out the future returns. Now, over this reinvention and innovation day from Starbucks, they highlighted a lot of plans and a lot of things that I thought was exciting from a shareholder perspective. Here's a barista illustrating their new patented design of how they make their drinks. First, I'm going to grab my cup. And then I'm going to grab my ice. And then next is the frappuccino roast and the base. And then the pumps of the mocha. And right before blending, I will grab the whole milk. And now I will blend it. That took 46 seconds to make that drink. 46 seconds, and she was explaining it as she did it. Starbucks calls this their proprietary siren systems that features a custom ice dispenser, milk dispensing system, and a new faster blender is located within the reach of the barista, reducing bending and heavy lifting. It also eliminates the need to move back and forth behind the service bar and eases congestion in a crowded busy space. There's lots of things that Starbucks is doing to reinvent their business, but they consider this to be one of the most tangible ways that you can actually objectively tell that it reduces the amount of time to make a drink. It reduces the stress on the baristas, and ultimately this makes it so that they 
can handle a higher order volume through the digital orders. Another optimization and an engineering feat that Starbucks has done is the Clover Vertica. It will serve a freshly ground and brewed cup of coffee on demand in under 30 seconds. Each Clover Vertica is topped by six hoppers, which offers a variety of coffees all day, including decaf, and the brewers don't have to require paper filters. All these little changes, at least seemingly little changes, can add up to big differences in the operation efficiency of this business. And this is the type of stuff that creates a moat from Starbucks to other coffee makers. They can't run their business as efficiently because they don't have these patented products like the Clover Vertica or the Siren Systems. They have to work in a less efficient model. And in addition to these specific patented engineering feats that they've created for their stores, they're also just doing some generalized efficiency changes to their model. The advancements include things like dedicated mobile order, only pickup lanes, a more personalized drive through experience that recognizes your Starbucks rewards, and it bases it off of your history, improving timing on the algorithms to create more accurate wait times on mobile orders, and effortless payment options where customers won't have to pull out their credit card or even their Starbucks app. They're doing a lot of things to make this business more efficient. So when I look at this company, Starbucks, I am still excited about this holding. It's a high free cash flow company that is a growing business that I think has secular growth trends that has gone through some temporary difficulties. And I think eventually this company will climb back up to $125 per share. It'll get there eventually. In the meantime, as long as a stock is trading downwards, they're still going to be able to pay their dividend and do share buybacks. So I feel no concern holding this company right now. In my view, Starbucks is still a buy. Now moving on, we also have some big news from one of the companies in my portfolio, which is Disney. Disney is a holding that struggled. I'm down around $6,000 in it. This company did go up to $200 per share at one point. Now the price has been chopped in half, down to $107 per share, and I'm still hanging on because I believe the company's worth more than what it's currently trading at. Now, Bob Chapek is always up to something. He's always trying to operationally improve the business. He may not be the best communicator. He's no Bob Iger in terms of doing deals and communicating with other people, but he does have some things that he's good at. One of them is operational efficiency. He ran the parks for a long time, and he was able to consistently churn out profits on those parks. And now it seems like his efforts have moved to focus on subscriptions, to turn Disney into one of those high reoccurring revenue companies. And we've seen rumors of this before. We had news a month ago that Disney explores membership program like Amazon Prime to offer discount and perks. We don't know whether or not they're really going to do this, but just the fact that they're exploring this as an option shows where their mind is at, shows what's top of mind for Disney. What they're wanting to do is to increase their profits and have more reliable income through offering subscriptions. The big problem with any subscription business is churn. Churn is a word to describe when users sign up for something and then a month or two later, they unsubscribe. They move away to something else. That user has churned from that service. And that's the big problem that all these companies face. It's easy to get people to sign up, but it's really difficult to keep them for long periods of time. And the companies that have been able to keep them for a long period of time are companies that offer a variety of really good value with their service. We have companies like Costco that offer a membership that offers incredible value to the customer. Or we have the situation like Amazon, where they offer so many different things. Whether or not you sign up because of two-day shipping or because of a discount on Amazon Music, or because of Thursday Night Football, or because of the Lord of the Rings series. There's probably some reason that you sign up for Amazon Prime. And the way that they get you to not churn from Amazon Prime 
is by bundling, by putting so many different value propositions into one membership that it's irresponsible to not be a member. Well, Disney seems to want to have what Amazon's already created, a massive membership that makes it very difficult to ever unsubscribe. And the way that they want to do this is similar to what Amazon Prime has done. Bundle enough value into one membership that there's at least one thing in that membership preventing you from churning. They say speaking to Goldman Sachs in this conference, Mr. Chapek said that there's, quote, a little bit of consumer friction for streaming customers who want to shift between Disney's family-focused and franchise content and the general entertainment and content of Hulu and sports-focused content of ESPN+. This is a nice way of saying that we want to bundle all this together and charge a lot more for it. And there's at least one thing in there that you want to watch, so you have to pay for the rest of everything to get that one thing. They went on in more detail saying that viewers must toggle between different apps on their smartphones, television, and other devices to watch content on each service. Placing all three services under one umbrella in a single app would reduce friction. They described this as reducing friction. But that's not the reason that Disney wants to bundle this together. They want to bundle it together because they know it reduces churn. When they know it reduces churn, it makes them more money. It makes it so that they have more pricing power. It's easier to raise prices on an overall bundle than it is an individual service. This is one of the things that's been expected with the streaming world. A lot of consolidation. All of these companies that once had unique individual streaming services are all going to get packaged together and lumped together where they have more pricing power. In a way, we moved away from cable, and over time, it feels like we're moving right back to cable with the big bloated packages. So overall, I think this is a win for the Disney shareholder, but a loss for the Disney customer. When you have all the streaming packages as individual, separate packages, you can pick and choose what content you want to pay for. When they combine it all in a bundle, you pay for all of it regardless of whether or not you want to just watch one piece of it. So I view this as something that's actually moving closer to historically what cable TV has been like. So in my opinion, even though I don't like this as a customer, I don't look forward to having all of the content bundled together into one thing, I still am invested in the company. I still think it's undervalued. And this type of stuff usually does work. So that's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you want to try out the Patreon and get access to hours of free content, there is a link in the pinned comment. You can try it out with a free trial. So there's literally no risk. Other than that, I'll see you in the next one.